a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 56. Hey, hey, hey. I'm Ryan in Seattle. Chrissy in Seattle. How's it going, Chrissy? Good. How are you? I'm good. Good, good. What's new? Oh, Work's stressful, so it's good to come here and have a chat about British telly. And you said there was big news from our local PBS station. Yeah. Our showing of the first episode of Sherlock was the second highest rated PBS showing in the United States. However, you know, in the our local market showing of Sherlock got a really huge share. So you're saying there were more people yeah. in Seattle watching that than in like New York City? percentage of share something like that it was a big oh, deal share. it was a huge 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 oh, okay success for them and they're going to pledge use it for a pledge drive in a couple weeks and i had given copies of it to my friends there because i work there sometimes and they were circulating it among all the big wigs and saying you know we really should do something besides just have this be part of masterpiece theater we should masterpiece mystery we should do something so they will don't think they'll get Benedict and Martin in the studio, but you know, <laughs> we'll see. Well, Martin's going to be a busy guy. Yes. As we said last week, they were talking about him being in The Hobbit, and then it was pretty much confirmed that he is going to be Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, I have a clip of him in 2005 on Letterman when he was promoting Hitchhiker's Guide, and I noticed the clip, the view count's just gone skyrocketed in the last week since that was announced, and people are writing, so he's the one, huh? Well, he'd better not mess it up. He'd better be a good billabo, and comments of that sort. I've seen pretty positive comments. People look at him and say, boy, he, yeah. he looks like a hobbit. Right. Uh, some of the other cast members are Richard Armitage, who's mm -hmm. been in Robin Hood and now is currently in Spooks, and Aidan Turner, who's being human. Yep. And Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. So a lot of great British TV veterans there are going to be tropping down to New Zealand, assuming they film there. There's a little controversy going on about unions and things, but I'm pretty sure they're going to film down there. Well, I'm sure they'll have a great time, but it won't take two years like the first trilogy. They're talking about spending $500 million on two movies. Boy, they... That the, the first ones didn't cost that much. Mm. I mean, I know there's inflation, but I'm like, $500 million? Just send a check to everybody and we'll reread the books again. Wow. Oh, well. They must think it's going to make a lot of money. Last week, uh, you asked me about, did you need a TV license if you just had a computer mm -hmm. and you didn't watch TV? And uh, Michael, our one sometime contributor, piped in and he said, if you don't have receiving equipment, just a PC, you only need a license to watch shows in real time, like on the iPlayer. And I said, well, what if you only use a PC to watch stuff like after it's transmitted? And he says, probably not, as long as you didn't have a TV, Sky, or anything like that. So I know that's the definitive word or not. But oh, so iPlayer shows live as well. That was, hmm. I thought I, it was for catching up on stuff he had missed. That's what I thought too. Mm -hmm. But maybe he means like if you were actually somehow streaming it uh, <laughs> via cable or whatever that you would have to. But if you're watching an iPlayer, you don't. But don't quote us on this. If you're in Britain, you probably know whether or not you need a TV license or not. Well, this week's show, we have reviews, news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on the League of Gentlemen. So we'll start off with some reviews. And the first is DOA. 
Chris Marshall from My Family plays Tom Lassiter, a surgeon who's lost his medical license because a patient died. Now he's a paramedic working for a surreal ambulance company in this BBC Three pilot. Karen Taylor plays Julie, his co-worker, who also sells marital aids when they aren't out on calls. Meanwhile, Tom's doctor girlfriend Lucy takes his loss of status and possible impending legal problems to reconsider their relationship. Oh, when was the last time you shaved? Oh, you don't like the uh, rugged emergency look then? Actually, I find facial hair incredibly creepy. Hey, guys. I heard there was a Star Wars convention on this weekend. Oh, Luke, please. Sorry, I forgot. You're an ancillary worker now, aren't you? Only till the inquiry clears in. Yeah. Can I just say, the donkey work you guys do is vital support for us doctors here at the sharp end. Uh, you wouldn't last five minutes out there on the street. Uh, much like your last patient. Oh, sorry. Gotta go. That, by the way, is the noise of a doctor's beeper. Just in case you're wondering what that was. Bastard. Mm. I've got to get back to Bedlam. So, oh, oh uh, hey. Always time for tomorrow night. I managed to swap my shift. Oh, God, I forgot to tell you, didn't I? What? Oh, it's the um, St Mary's Brain Damage Ball tomorrow night. Great. I mean, you can carry me home for a change. Mm, it's doctors only, I'm afraid. Sorry. All in all, things aren't going too well. This certainly isn't the first comedy to try to mine laughs from ambulance drivers, and if Tom's choice of lawyers is any sign, perhaps many of the choices that have led him to this point are his fault. Julie's ongoing battles with their dispatcher over the radio and the other ambulance crew's absurd downtime activities add to the craziness. British TV commissioners are forever searching for the magic bullet workplace comedy that will be as successful as The Office was. We have Alan Davis's Whites finishing up this week and now a pilot for DOA. Of the two, I liked Whites a bit more, but that's not to say I wouldn't mind seeing what happens next with Tom and Julie on DOA. Yeah, other than my family, Chris Marshall was in My Life on Film, which was a very funky film-related show. Each episode mm-hmm. took on a theme of a different program. And he also was in the remake of Dr. Zhivago. Yeah, and he's done some film work, too. He was in The Merchant of Venice with Al Pacino and Love Actually. Everybody's in Love Actually. That's true. Some sort of rule. Our second review is very apropos for this show, The First Men in the Moon. Mark Gatiss, a busy fellow these days, and we'll be talking a lot about more about him later in the show, in addition to working on Sherlock, found the time to adapt and star in this BBC4 version of H.G. Wells' 1901 novel of the same name. Gatiss uses a framing device with a story starting out on July 20th, 1969, as a young British boy visiting a carnival is excited about the impending moon landing. He discovers an old man in a tent with films he has shot who proceeds to tell how he, in fact, was the first man in the moon. Gatiss plays Professor Cavour, a scientist who had recently discovered the gravity-repealing Cavorite. Along with Bedford, they build a spacecraft and travel to the moon. Okay, okay, what do you think? I mean, might there be people? Oh, good heavens, no. Out of the question. Look at it. It's dead, Bedford. Dead. We must think of ourselves as sort of ultra-Arctic voyagers, exploring the desolate places of space. Men have watched this planet systematically for over 200 years and seen no change. 
Not a jot. But the moon people's handiwork might be hidden. One could see a fair-sized church through a telescope, I should say. Probably. Certainly any towns or buildings. Uh, whatever life there might be would have to hibernate through a day that lasts 14 of our earthly days, and then through a night of equal length, growing colder and colder under those cold, sharp stars. Once they land, they discover both an atmosphere and intelligent life. Gavor calls the creatures selenites, and they are achieved with passable but not quite cinema-grade computer animation. Held prisoner by the selenites and unable to communicate with them, Bedford and Gavor are separated, and Bedford is forced to use their spaceship to escape alone before the lunar night freezes everything. After many days, he manages to land back on Earth and encounters Lee Ingleby, playing a helpful passerby with a ridiculous mustache, who helps himself to the spaceship and flies off. Kind of a cameo part for him. <laughs> Penniless, and with movies nobody believes are authentic, Bedford receives a radio message from Cavour that explains what happened ultimately to the moon's atmosphere. Boy, is Darren Brown show up? That sounds like almost the same group putting uh, Crooked House that Mark Gatiss and Lee Ingleby did a couple years ago with a little cameo by Darren Brown. Did not see his name in the credits. Oh, okay. But the framing device of the real moon landing really hit home for me. I was about the same age as the boy in the movie, and I recall the day... 41 years ago, like it was yesterday. Gatiss, however, would have only been two years old, so far too young to remember the Apollo 11 mission firsthand. But it creates a nice, old-timey feel that movies used to have starting in a much more familiar setting and then taking us back via narration to the incredible events on screen. For the most part, the first men in the moon is a two-hander, with Gatiss and Rory Kinnear in nearly every scene opposite each other. Gatiss's Professor Cavour is very much in the mold of stereotypical eccentric British scientists who don't always see the real-world application of the discoveries they make. Wells, like Gatiss, used a rather fantastical plot to make some rather pointed commentary on the human condition right here. It seems a shame after mounting this entire 88-minute production that it was put out on BBC4. In the multi-channel universe, it's easy to overlook a unique project like this. Yeah, one of the first things I ever saw Eddie Izzard do was his take on the moon landing. I've got a couple different clips of him back in 1998 when he was just starting to do five minutes on Letterman and he was on a U.S. version of Comic Relief. I think it was the last one they ever did at Radio City Music Hall and he did his moon landing bit in both of them so we can link to that on my YouTube channel. Send me a link. Will well, do. What was Crooked House? Crooked House was three plays set in a house Lee Ingleby found part of a building and he determined it had been a doorknob on the building that had been there previously before they knocked it down and put in flats where he and his wife had moved in. So he took it to this local historian who was telling him different stories in each of the episodes of something that had happened at the original house. But then he discovered when he went home and opened the door that his house had been transported to some sort of parallel dimension where he was in the crooked house and Darren Brown was kind of a sorcerer in there doing some magic spells because he desperately wanted an heir and his wife couldn't have a baby and it, it didn't end well at all. Who wrote that? Gatiss, Mark Gatiss okay. and he also played the historian who was telling all these stories to Lee Ingleby and then of course in the end you find out oh that man he's been dead for years sort of whoa ha 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 sort of the typical. O. Henry twist yes but it was it was fun it was just three episodes and good talent 
quite fun. Darren Brown had a interesting prosthetic nose, gave him a great big bump in the middle of his nose, and he didn't have much to do other than chant incantations and do startled looks over his shoulder. But he's a friend of Mark Gatiss, so that's well, we've he done legal bee shows and we've done Darren, Darren Brown and shows, and we're doing Mark Gatiss here yep. tonight. So stay tuned. News. Speaking of Eddie Izzard, is he a rare television drama appearance being in on TV? An article in The Guardian this week said that the comedian would be playing Long John Silver in a new version of Treasure Island that will be shown on Sky. But they described his casting as, quote, a rare television drama appearance. My reaction is, huh? What about two seasons in The Riches of last year's remake of Day of the Triffids? That's true. And he did Kitchen and Forty and... He's been on TV more often than Chris Fraggleston He's lately. Quite a bit, yeah. But he does films too, and they're proud of him for breaking the film market. And I read it wasn't going to be on for a couple of years. They said Christmas 2012. Was that a typo or? That might make sense because I was thinking yeah. if they were filming it now, there's no way they're going to get that on by Christmas. Yeah, but the two years from now, hmm. That's what it said, 2012. I looked at it a couple of times and went, huh? But could be. And I was sorry to see that actor Graham Crowden had died last week. He co-starred in the sitcom Waiting for God alongside Stephanie Cole and is best remembered by Doctor Who fans for guest starring in the episode The Horns of Naimon. I thought he was terrific in the 1980s comedy drama A Very Peculiar Practice, which co-starred Peter Davison. So that was written by Andrew Davies, and we need to do a show about him because he oh, yeah, has absolutely. done some great stuff as well as being the king of adaptations. What's on TV for the week of October 27th to November 2nd? Wednesday, Waterloo Road finishes up the term on BBC One. Agatha Christie's Poirot is back on ITV One with Halloween Party. Thursday, River Cottage Every Day continues on Channel 4. Have I Got News For You is on BBC One and with its guest host, John Bishop. It's followed by Reggie Perrin. Phone Shop continues on E4. Celebrity Juice has an X Factor special on ITV2. Nevermind the Buzzcocks is on BBC2 with guest host Catherine Tate. Russell Howard's Good News is on BBC3. Friday QI on BBC1 has guest panelists Dara O'Brien, Chris Addison, and Sean Locke. It's followed by New Tricks. And Paul Grady Live is on ITV1. BBC Two has a new series, The Stephen K. Amos Show, blending stand-up performances, comic sketches, and appearances by celebrity guests. Is he a comic that's on your radar? He's been around forever. I've seen him live in the 90s. Yeah, he's he's just been plugging away on the circuit, occasional. You should say um, he's a young man. It's not like he's a 50-year-old comic. No, but he, <laughs> that's, he's been around for quite a while. I remember him on a Buzzcocks many, many years ago, too when they were making fun of Alanis Morissette's video where she was naked. and <laughs> So I'm trying to place when that would have been, but it was a while ago. Well, he's got his own series now. Yep. Also on Friday, The Graham Norton Show is on BBC One. Saturday, Walk on the Wild Side continues on BBC One. And meanwhile, Harry Hill's TV Burp continues on ITV One. Merlin continues on BBC One. And the Armstrong and Miller show moves to Saturday night for its third series on BBC One. The sketch comedy series with Alexander Armstrong and Ben Miller has been steadily growing its audience since their early days together on Channel 4. Kind of weird to have on Saturday, though. That's uh, an interesting slot for them. Are they as naked as much now as they used to be? They used to be known for that. Yes, the naked vets. No, they're mostly famous for the two World War II oh. pilots who talk in street slang. Yes, 
I, I do like that one. It's sort of a, almost an updating on history today, isn't it? Just another... No, because that was more of the insult thing, and this right. is more the the counterpoint of these very strict guys speaking in very cl- upper-class clipped accents, but speaking all jive. Well, it's the same thing, though, of just take something and tweak it just a little bit. Isn't that all comedy, I guess? Change your expectation. You have to change the expectation of what you think will happen. And it's funny. Sunday. Going back to something serious here. Time Team continues on Channel 4. Well, Time Team's hardly grim. It's no, it's a good show. BBC Two has James May's Man Lab. During a break from filming Top Gear, May tries to redeem the reputation of modern men, whom he believes are perceived as being unreliable, clumsy, and oafish, by teaching them skills cherished by their forefathers. They have promise keepers over in the UK? I have no idea. I hope not for their sake. It's followed on BBC Two by the Psychoville Halloween Special. A TV location manager for Dale Winton's overnight ghost hunt investigates the abandoned ruins of Ravenhill Hospital, searching for the spirit of its evil former governess, only for four terrifying tales to unfold. We shall have more about Psychoville and the League of Gents in a few minutes. Kind of sounds like the format for the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. (laughs) But that should be good. Downton Abbey continues on ITV1. On BBC One, Single Father concludes. Thorn with David Morrissey begins a new three-part thriller on Sky One. Genius with Dave Gorman is on BBC Two. Monday, the Sarah Jane Adventures continues on CBBC with a two-part adventure, The Empty Planet, and repeats Wednesday afternoon on BBC One. I saw the one this week with Matt Smith and Katie Manning co-starring. Has... Probably the worst realized villains since the series came back. They are so fake. But every scene with Matt is pure gold. Okay, well, I'll have to watch it then. Russell T. Davis, say what you will about him. He writes such amazing dialogue scenes. There are two or three moments in there that were just absolutely fantastic. And seeing Matt again, it's like, is it really two months until Christmas? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to be Christopher Isherwood pretty soon, though, isn't he? True. Also around Christmas but it's fun seeing him playing the Doctor. Absolutely. Spooks continues on BBC One. Ask Rod Gilbert continues on BBC One. The Trip debuts on BBC Two. Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon star in this improvised comedy about two actors on a culinary tour of the north of England. We did a feature on Steve Cook and Roy back in show eight and one on Rob Bryden in show 37. Yeah, you were saying how much of that is real and how much of it is uh, fake. There's an interesting article uh, that just came up on The Guardian and uh, talking, interviewing them. And they do seem to have very different personalities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tuesday, the Sarah Jane Adventures is on CBBC. Whites can finishes its run on BBC Two, as does Harry and Paul. Probably my favorite recurring sketch on Harry and Paul this year is what would happen if the Beatles never took drugs and broke up? So now they're all in their 70s and still doing wacky hijinks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Getting On is on BBC Four. Lip Service continues on BBC Three. And Argumental continues on Dave. In the United States, on BBC America, Wednesday, I Do Anything with Graham Norton and Andrew Lloyd Webber begins. And Friday, a new episode of Law & Order UK. 
Saturday, it's the Graham Norton Show with last week's episode featuring Charlotte Church, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Russell Howard. It's pretty quick at the one over here. Be very mm-hmm. topical. Sunday, Luther with Edith Elba continues. Top Gear continues on Monday night. We did a feature on the series in show 51. On Adult Swim on Friday night has the UK version of The Office. Wednesday, IFC begins the U.S. premiere of Charlie Brooker's Dead Set. What would happen if a zombie outbreak occurred in the Big Brother house? Find out. Three episodes tonight and the last three on Thursday. There's repeat on Halloween, naturally. We did a feature on Charlie Brooker back in show 29. I keep seeing uh, things on Facebook uh, saying, Are you ready for the zombie apocalypse? What could happen right now? Do you have the tools at hand? I think people think about this far too much. On PBS's Masterpiece Mystery, it's the second episode of Sherlock. It's titled The Blind Banker, the only episode not written by Stephen Moffat or Mark Gatiss. Some people thought it was less exciting than the first or third episodes, but it's still very much recommended. And we did a feature on Sherlock in our last show. DVD releases. Law & Order UK Season 1. Jamie Bamber and Freema Edgeman are among the stars of this British version of the long-running police procedural. Poirot, Murder on the Orient Express, is now available on Blu-ray, starring David Suchet as Agatha Christie's famous detective. Poldark, Series 2, the 1977 BBC costume drama based on the Winston Graham novels. Did you ever watch those? Nope. There is a very strange documentary that came out in the early 80s called Poldark vs. Blake 7, and it actually compared both series. You can't think of anything different than an 18th century costume drama (laughs) and a 23rd century space soap opera. But they did! Our feature this week is on the League of Gentlemen. Mark Gatiss, Reese Shearsmith, and Steve Pemberton are all the writers, along with Jeremy Dyson, and play nearly all the characters in the surreal 1990s BBC comedy series. We look at the career of all three gentlemen, including a look at Psychoville. As Michael told us a few weeks ago during our quiz about radio shows that moved to television, the League of Gentlemen started off on Radio 4 as On the Town with the League of Gentlemen in 1997. The radio series was set in a village called Spent, but for television two years later, the name was changed to Royston Vasey. It's an in-joke. Royston Vasey is the real name of comic Roy Chubby Brown, who was seen in the series as the mayor. The best way I could describe the goings-on in Royston Vasey would be as if the Monty Python troupe had attempted a sitcom version of Twin Peaks. It was weird. Starting with a sign announcing, You'll never leave, to the local shop for local people, run by Edward and Tubbs. Yes! Sorry, love. Uh, Are you open? Yes! Can I help you at all? You certainly can. I'm Mr. Wint. This is Mr. Kidd. Are you a local? Uh, No. We're conducting a survey on behalf of PQ Construction and we need to serve you with these papers. (laughs) 
It's uh, nothing to be concerned about. Just notification that we're building a new road in your area. New road? Bad! <laughs> this is a local shop for local people. There's nothing for you here. Uh, listen, love, we're a bit pushed. All you have to do is sign this and read the document. <laughs> is that a crown you wear? This is just my helmet. Helmet! <laughs> yes. Can I touch it? No, we need to speak to our superiors. Perhaps we could use your telephone. Tefaloon? Um, Tefaloon? Is this one? It's all right, I've got my mobile. <laughs> Just needs charging. Uh, can you show me where your points are? <laughs> 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 no, 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 what's going on? What's all this shouting? We'll have no trouble here. <laughs> They're strangers. Not local. He wears a crown and builds new road. <sighs> Look, there's been a misunderstanding. Your wife is local. Overreacting. <laughs> We just needed to look at these proposals, that's all. Look here, we don't need a new road. This is a community. We don't bother the outside world. We don't want it bothering us. Sir, it'll be no bother, I promise you. Just sign this and you'll never hear from us again. You're sure? Absolutely. Besides, when the new road is laid, you'll be laughing. Your shop will be full of people. <laughs> <laughs> Among the characters we met in the first season, shown in 1999, were Barbara, the barely-seen transsexual cab driver, a married couple who take anal retentiveness to a whole new level hosting their nephew, and Pauline, a power-mad woman running a job training course. Little vignettes introduce and develop these and other characters, their interactions with each other, and the odd stranger in town. Sight gags abound, including a collection of missing posters, including such items as a finger and the town's war memorial, and a bicyclist who unwittingly drags something behind throughout an entire episode. In the second season, new characters were introduced, including Papa Lazarow, proprietor of a strange circus, and Herr Lip, a German exchange teacher who would like to exchange more than just language with his male students. A subplot involving the butcher shop run by Hilary Briss and his special stuff started causing nosebleeds among the residents of Royston Basie. And the third season, in 2002, was centered around a traffic accident where all the character arcs intersected together. I've seen chunks of them, but I prefer the earlier to the later. They got so icky <laughs> near the end. It was kind of hard. <laughs> that's my professional opinion. Icky. 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 I warmed to them pretty quickly. Hmm. Okay. I knew that they had won the um, Perrier, Perrier, so that generally, if you play your cards right, that assures you a pretty good career jump on TV. Well, via At least radio. if you're a man. <laughs> the yeah. women, like Jenny Eclair, she's never quite gotten anywhere near the heights of your Steve Coogan's and League of Gents and that sort of thing. And in 2005, there was a feature-length movie released, The League of Gentlemen Apocalypse. Have you seen that? No, I know sort of the premise. And I know a lot of people like our Simon Pegg and Peter Kay had cameos in it, but I haven't seen it. So who are these gentlemen anyway? Mark Gatiss is probably the best known of the trio at the moment, owing to his work on Doctor Who and co-creating the BBC's Sherlock, which he also appears in. A longtime Doctor Who fan, he wrote one of the first original novels in 1992, Nightshade. 
His love of the series was showcased during the BBC's Doctor Who Night in 1999 when he and fellow fan David Williams appeared in three sketches about the series. The first was set in the office of the controller of the BBC in 1963, where a writer tries to pitch his idea for a new TV series about a mysterious man who travels through time and space. It was full of in-jokes, including the supposed origin of the famous Ron Grainer theme tune. In the second one, Gatiss got to fulfill a lifelong dream, one I suspect he still desires, to play the Doctor. Here he is landing on a strange planet with an encounter with some aliens. Hello. Can I help you? Yes. Um, <clears throat> I'm I, I'm bad. You're bad. Yes. What do you want me to do, Bert? Stop us! <laughs> well, well, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Um, doctor. No, uh, doctor. <laughs> doctor. Doctor. Oh, that's it. You fear me now, Doctor. What do you want? I'm not sure. I haven't thought of anything yet. Oh. Maybe I should, I, should, I should come back tomorrow. Yeah, come, come back tomorrow when you've had a chance to think things through. Yes, yeah. I will have a plan. And you can stop me if you can. Time, Lord. All right. See you then. Oh, oh what? If I were to hollow out the Earth's core and replace it with a giant motor so I could pilot the planet anywhere in the it's universe. It's been done. For sure. Yeah. Oh. You're the expert. In the third sketch on Doctor Who Night, David Williams appears in the bedroom of Mark Gatiss to announce he's just kidnapped Peter Davison, just as they always imagined. Davison's look of pure horror when Williams asks, Can I kiss Peter Davison? was comedy gold. Mark Gatiss has also written three episodes of the new Doctor Who series, the well-received Charles Dickens story, The Unquiet Dead, The Idiot's Lantern, and the, well, somebody had to do it, Victory of the Daleks earlier this year. And he's also appeared in the series as the age-defying Dr. Lazarus in The Lazarus Experiment. He's also appeared in the 2001 remake of Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, Spaced, In the Red, and Nighty Night. Mark Gatiss and David Tennant appeared in a live broadcast remake of the Quartermass Experiment in 2005. Gatiss co-starred with Lee Ingleby in the 2007 version of The Wind in the Willows. We played a clip of them together way back in show three. And Gatiss appeared in an episode of Psychoville in 2009 as a suspicious policeman in an homage to Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, which you might remember was all filmed in one take. Yeah, and he was um, script editor of the first series of Little Britain. That's right. And appeared as a agent who uh, Dave Williams, playing a stage mother, was trying to get her talentless little boy in a production of Bugsy Malone and was selling her shoes to get the money to pay the cab fare to go to the audition and everything else. And the, the poor kid just wanted his mother to leave him alone. Yes, he's turned up a lots of things. I mean, we've just scratched the surface here of Mark Gatiss's various appearance. I loved his, the extra on the first series of Doctor Who, the first new series, because do you remember that they filmed, they gave him a video camera and he's filmed himself 
on the tube ready to go pitch his idea for a Doctor Who episode and then he would film every couple weeks he'd film and talk about how the script was going and how he'd taken out this character and added this one at one point he's in Spain but he still has a script with him and he's working on it and it finally ends in his house as all his buddies are there and they're watching his episode go out live on the air and all drinking wine it was very cool I liked that he has a very cool video diary Steve Pemberton, the second member of the League of Gentlemen, has also appeared in Doctor Who in The Silence of the Library. And he's also part of the ensemble cast of Benidorm, about British holidaymakers in Spain, playing Mick Garvey. I can't breathe. Jenna, I said I can't breathe. Okay. <sighs> okay, what do you mean, okay? You're taking the piss? I said I can't breathe, I could be dying. Well, you're not, are you? How do you know? Take it. You heard my mother next door. She probably is dying. Fingers crossed. Oh, I am sweating cobs, I'm telling you. I can't breathe. I'm so hot. For fuck's sake, will you either get up or shut up? My head's banging like a shit house during a gale. Nobody forced you to drink a bottle of Bailey's on the plane. <sighs> nice too hot. Right, that's it. Get out. The woman who plays his wife, I've been seeing her in Shaban something. Downton yeah. Abbey all these weeks, and I'm I'm kept trying to place where have I seen her before? And I was too lazy to look her up. And oh yes, she was Nick's wife in Benidorm. Alongside Reese Shearsmith, Steve Pemberton has written and co-starred in Psychoville. A mysterious blackmailer links separate stories that all stem from time they all spent together in a mental hospital years earlier. Like in The League of Gentlemen, Psychoville allows Shearsmith and Pemberton to take on a variety of roles, although there are a number of other performers including Don French and Daisy Haggard. Well, shall I put the kettle on? I'm absolutely gasping. So was he. Oh, yeah. Funny that. Like when you say you're dying for the toilet. Doesn't mean you're actually going to die. Unless your stools are black. What colour are your stools, David? Banoffee pie. That's all right, then. Hey, we're getting good at this, aren't we? That was easier than the last one. Mind you, it wasn't as satisfying. You're like a Chinese. Is that why these serial killers can't stop, David? Godlike power over human life enables serial killers to compensate for childhood humiliations or adult inadequacies, leading to feelings of potency and superiority which cannot be attained in their day-to-day lives. Yeah, like I say, it's Moorish. Combining the best of the League, namely creepy characters and a meandering but plot-driven through-line, Psychoville won the 2009 British Comedy Award for Best New British TV Comedy. There will be a Halloween special shown Sunday night on BBC Two, as well as a second series early next year. Mark Gatiss continues to work on a new series of Sherlock that will be broadcast next autumn, and he will be writing an episode of Doctor Who next year as well. His recent version of The First Men in the Moon was shown last week on BBC Four, and you heard a review of it earlier this episode. All the episodes of The League of Gentlemen are available on DVD in the U.S. and Britain, although sadly, The League of Gentlemen Apocalypse has only been released on Region 2 in Britain. And Psychoville is not yet available in the Region 1 release yet. 
So someone needs to get moving. Get it over here. Anything else you wish to add? Well, we didn't talk too much about Reese. Guess he hasn't done. Well, what have you remembered him in? I mean, I see him pop pop up in big yeah, parts. Yeah, he just pops up in a lot of projects. He's really kind of a more character actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark Gatiss is really out there writing parts for himself to play. Well, I guess Reese is too, because they're working on Psychoville now. Yeah, we've short shifted him. I'll have to think about him a bit more because you know you see him from time to time in this project and that. They were involved in Funland, which took place in Blackpool. It was kind of like the David Tennant Blackpool without the singing. Very mm. weird, sur- surreal thing. The credit sequence was a gorilla climbing Blackpool Tower and then falling. And you're not sure who that character is until the very end. And all sorts of sordidness going on, and the characters are all interlinked and you know, things Blackpool like that. Blackpool is a character of its own. I've been there. I don't know if you have, but it's it's a very atmospheric place. No, I've never been there. There's a movie called Funny Bones, which was Lee Evans' first film that he did with um, Oliver Platt and Jerry Lewis that was mostly set in Blackpool that uses its, its sort of rundown, shoddy, third-rate entertainerness. It's in a really beautiful way. The Jerry Lewis? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Didn't know he did any British movies. Yeah, he plays a, a sort of a version of himself, very uh, semi-retired but extremely popular comedian, and his son's trying to make it as a stand-up comedian versus a physical comedian like his dad was. And Yeah, funny, funny bones. Hmm. I highly suggest you look it up. Okay. And, of course, Gatiss plays, we can say now, uh, Mycroft Holmes, the mm-hmm. smarter brother to Sherlock. Well, next week, Space 1999 comes to Blu-ray next week. You ever see that show? I remember watching it originally, but I'll, I have almost no memories of it. Wasn't there somebody with braided eyebrows? Yes. <laughs> okay, um, that's that's my memory of Space 1999. But that was the vehicle for Martin Landau and Barbara yeah. Bain. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this cult science fiction series from the 1970s was made by the legendary Jerry Anderson, who we're going to profile next week, because I grew up on Jerry Anderson programs, and he's still making them. Well, let's do that then. All right. Meanwhile, we'd like you to visit our website, which is www.britishtvpodcast.com, and you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 55 shows. And if you've got any feedback, you could send it to feedback at BritishTVPodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you're watching Sherlock along with us and like to give your two cents worth for the podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. And our Twitter ID is BritTVPodcast. Twitter tweet. <laughs> well, that's all for this week. We'll see you next week in show 57. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.